Hey, hi, hello, y'all. This is RB, and welcome back for season two, episode eight of Take the Last Bite, a show where we take Midwest nice, toss it in a blender, mix it up with some sugar and spice, and pour it over ice with a nice slice of lemon. On today's episode, I chat with our board president and fellow anarchist, Stephanie Scora, to chat about a vital project she's been working on ahead of upcoming local elections and the complicated relationship queer folks have with engaging in electoral politics. But before we get into that, let's talk about something else that's complicated. Pride Month. Yes, of course, June is Pride Month, and in the blink of an eye, corporate logos across the social mediaverse swapped to iterations of LGBTQ pride flags. The smorgasbord of pride merchandise from big box stores have been piling up in our sponsored ads, and our favorite content creators are making their coin, partnering with various businesses across a spectrum of consumption ethics. Once upon a time, as history informs us, Pride was about rejecting the societal restrictions on gender expression and sexuality. It was about fighting back against police raids on bars and other establishments frequented by queer and trans people due to strange laws dictating that you weren't allowed to wear more than three pieces of clothing that were meant for the quote-unquote opposite sex. We've progressed to a moment where many of us are acutely aware of this history, but the modern day co-optation of our pride events and celebrations makes for a very messy month. This phenomenon is often referred to as rainbow capitalism, where corporations and government entities that don't pay much mind to LGBTQ issues suddenly feign support and care for our communities during months like June for Pride Month and October for LGBTQ History Month, where they stand to make money or get in good with a voter base for political clout. Unfortunately, it's not just the well-intentioned outgroup hoping for their ally cookie that are capable of making messes during our beloved Pride Month. On the 1st of June, a collective of queer, trans, and allegedly allied TikTok content creators launched a campaign called Pride Out with the aim of drawing attention to the ways social media tools such as TikTok often suppress and censor LGBTQ-related content on its platform. This is a very real experience. There are many examples across TikTok, Snapchat, YouTube, Instagram, and more of LGBTQ creators and other marginalized creators having their content not show up, having their content be taken down or banned or um, be reported, uh, receiving obscure content warnings about adult content, etc. So for a group of creators to want to draw attention to this ongoing issue, especially in an era where so much queer and trans community is created through virtual platforms, is not the issue. The mistakes that were made and have since been called out were that in a duetted video that the creators involved in Pride Out co-created, they use a hand gesture in which they cover their mouths with one hand. And very shortly after this video made its debut across the platform, indigenous folks and others responded that using that gesture is inappropriate because it is a commonly used symbol in the movement around missing and murdered indigenous women. The hand gesture specifically refers to the ways indigenous women and two-spirit people are often abducted and disappeared, and how law enforcement efforts to find them are bleak and don't receive the same attention as similar instances that involve missing white folks. 
Many responses to the video offer different gesture options for the Pride Out group, such as duct tape as a nod to the easily recognizable no hate campaign photo poses, or even different ways of covering their mouths, such as with one finger. Either way, there was immediate pushback on the imagery used in the Pride Out campaign video, and creators involved in the project have since taken to their personal accounts to address the major oversight. Now, the feedback is not that Pride Out shouldn't exist. Again, the drive behind the project of drawing attention to the suppression of LGBTQ content on social media platforms is valid. However, this display of immediate feedback shows how powerful social media is as a tool for accountability when used in this way, and also really points to the need to be more methodical and intentional about our campaigns, especially if the project is orchestrated primarily by white folks. If there was care and proactivity in ensuring that Two-Spirit and LGBTQ native content creators were deeply engaged in the project, it could have prevented the misuse of the hand-over-mouth gesture. There's no guarantee of that, but if we're not in right relationship with all of those who are impacted by systemic homophobia and transphobia, it's likely to damage our efforts. And I think this is a scenario that rings true for Pride celebrations as well. Well-intentioned and usually well-resourced, LGBTQ folks are often volunteering their time for the good of the community to execute Pride events, but are not always receptive to feedback about underrepresentation of facets of the community, about harm caused to QT BIPOC folks, about collusion with corporations, law enforcement, corrupt governments. Sometimes committees bite back at community that if folks want to see changes in the Pride events, they should just get involved, not acknowledging that folks should not have to be in the room to expect their identities and experiences to be considered in the planning process. This is why we continue to see Pride parades interrupted by those who are forsaken by the festivities. Protests by LGBTQ folks at LGBTQ events because of pinkwashing, taking money from places that enact violence against marginalized people, because the event is being hosted in a place with a history of racism and anti-blackness. There's so, so many reasons that these pride events are getting pushed back by folks within the own community because they're not inclusive, they're not intersectional, and they are not done with true care for the community. It's cyclical, it's messy, and it's the nature of the work we have to do. Everyone should be able to relax, celebrate, have a good time. But it's tricky when there's so much beneath the surface of a parade or festival. This Pride Month, how are you engaging with movements beyond the ones that directly serve you? How are you assessing the Pride spaces planned in your area for equity, access, and intentionality? How are you accessing rest and joy in ways that others may be denied? We can have fun and engage with these necessary questions at the same time. No one is ruining pride by asking the necessary questions. Today's main chat is with someone who knows all about asking the hard questions and about pushing on people in power to bend to the needs and demands of the people. Stephanie Scora joins me for today's conversation to talk about her Girl I Guess Voter Guide, which aims to inform community members in Cook County, Illinois, about local candidates and ballot measures to encourage people to vote in their best interests. 
even if that means voting for a so-so candidate in order to beat out a bigot. Her insight about this project offers lots of guidance for how to approach keeping one's own community informed about voting and the value of mobilizing others to use voting as one of many tools for social change, even when you have little faith in electoral politics. Make sure to look up your polling place so you can get in line for this episode of Take the Last Bite. Y'all, we cannot do this. We cannot be these stereotypical Midwesterners. Please eat the rest of this food. We just have these conversations every day with people. Like, this is exhausting. I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) Why can't we be in space with hundreds of other queer and trans folks and having these necessary conversations? I don't know who you are, but (laughs) we're going to talk by the potatoes for five minutes. Because aesthetic is the only thing keeping my dysphoria at bay. Yeah, I'm broke all the time, but I look amazing. Definitely going to talk about Midwest nice. And if that's, if that's, um, as real as it wants to think it is. Midwest nice is white aggression. That's what it is. All right, fam. So we're we're having a chat on a finally warm Midwest afternoon on Friday the 13th. So whether or not that energy is going to interplay here or not, plus Mercury just went into retrograde. Ooh, Um, an auspicious day. (laughs) So there might be some cosmic energy influencing our conversation, and it just feels like the right time. Um, So why don't you start off with telling the folks who are listening who you are um, and include in that what your relationship or connection is to the Midwest? My name is Stephanie Spora. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I am the board president of the Institute. Uh, and my uh, day job is the COO of Brave Space Alliance, the Southside LGBTQ Center in Chicago. I am also the writer and editor of the Girl, I Guess, Progressive Voter Guide for Cook County, Illinois. And my relationship to the region is uh, I am a lifelong Illinoisian. Uh, and a Midwest chauvinist, uh, because Midwest is best. You know, we have fresh water, we have great open cornfields, we have the perfect long-haul driving, uh, long-haul lesbian driving conditions, and we have just enough bullshit to balance out the cool stuff to make us an interesting place to live. Also, the best, like, boilerplate messages (laughs) for the region. (laughs) Oh, I'll do you one better. (laughs) Ecologically, we're the most sustainable place on earth. So during the apocalypse, move to Chicago or Milwaukee. Oh, noted. Or Gary. No one wants to move to Gary. Well, if enough people moved to Gary, Gary would be a better place to live. This is true. This is true. Your your reference to long haul lesbian driving reminds me of when you drove from Chicago up here to Duluth a few years ago in the biggest rental car I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh, a Nissan Armada. Armada. An entire tank. It got 16 miles to the gallon. At Oof. best. But you made At it best. here safe and sound, and it was it was a good time. Me, you and Hayden. I did. I was driving a tank. You <laughs> and I had to park the damn thing in winter oh it was the worst experience the worst parking experience of my life and I live in Chicago (laughs) like to this day I have not had a more stressful parking experience than trying to park like a like a fucking 20 foot long car 
I've never been able to not see over a car as a tall person. That was a new experience for me with your. Yeah, it gave me a lot of respect for like limo and sprinter van drivers. I'm like, y'all, like, I always knew that you were good drivers, but respect. (laughs) So of all the laundry list of things you just listed, we could talk (laughs) about many of them and they would be fantastic conversations, but we're specifically on the mic today because I wanted to catch you while you were knee deep in the girl, I guess, voter guide um, and talk about kind of the, the origins of that project and then kind of parse that out into like the value of being um, an informed, uh, civically engaged person, but like, more <laughs> it's going to be really evident how i feel about electoral politics by the end of this um if folks <laughs> don't already know but like truly understanding like these processes these systems these existing structures in electoral politics and how your project of girl i guess um has contributed to just like community consciousness building around voting right you live somewhere where representation Um, became a priority because voting in a Black lesbian woman seemed really important and then became hellfire for the- Didn't really work out for us. No, no, it didn't. Um, And who said that that was going to be a problem? All the QT BIPOC folk, all of them. Um, But it happened anyway because, oh, it's so exciting, representation. Anyway, I think we'll get into all of that. So- can you start off in the best way possible, right? Talking about what the guide is and yes. where it came from. Yeah, well, as I start off, I'm going to put on my legal hat and say <laughs> uh, Brave Space Alliance and the Midwest Institute for Sexuality and Gender Diversity are 501c3 nonprofit organizations. And my opinion as a private citizen who engages in electoral endorsements is completely separate from and not at all indicative of the opinion or actions of either of those nonprofit organizations. Don't sue us, IRS. Thank you. Bold face. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so um, yeah, no, so Girl, I Guess was a project of myself and my very good friend, Ellen Mayer, uh, who is a fellow Chicagoan, um, in the run-up to the Democratic primary in 2018 in Illinois, so like in January or February of that year, Ellen and I had met each other through the normal ways that that people do in Chicago by being both queer and Jewish at the same time. Um, uh, And so we met each other through uh, various queer and Jewish spaces um, and found out that we were both total nerds and loved politics. And so, you know, one day Ellen was talking about like, hey, who, you know, it'd be really cool if somebody did like a voter guide for Cook County because nobody ever knows who any of these people are. They just get the mailers and they go to the, they go to the ballot box and like, they just vote for whoever the party tells them to. And all of our friends are radicals and like hardcore communists and anarchists and like we're hardcore communists and anarchists and like don't believe in the power of elections as a liberatory tool but our votes still count mm. what if we made a per, like a voter guide for leftists that could help people figure out how to engage in the process without feeling like they invested their time and energy in something they don't believe in mm-hmm. um and so we started out um as uh, a Google Doc called Stefan L's Excellent Voter Guide. Um, (laughs) And then uh, in the general election for 2018, 
um, we were sort of disillusioned with our choices for governor in the general uh, in the general election. And so as an homage to the uh, the reaction of black Twitter in 2016 to uh, the election of Hillary Clinton as the Democratic nominee, uh, we called the guide girl, I guess, because we were not super enthusiastic about J.B. Pritzker. <laughs> I will say he's proven us delightfully wrong. Guy's a great governor. He's a, he's a great governor. Best governor Illinois has had in years. And like a legit guy, a legit, legit guy. He hasn't been indicted for anything. He <laughs> hasn't was. gone to jail. Um, you know, he's he is... If, if he's being corrupt, he's keeping it under wraps like a decent human being and not following the grand tradition of Illinois governors <laughs> of just immediately going to jail. So, and he's also a super progressive guy, it turns out. Um, and so he's doing a great job, um, but we were not particularly enthused about his nomination uh, in 2018. So we called the guide girl, I guess. Um, and we made it a little bit more thorough. We made it a little bit more uh semitically sassy put a little bit more judaism in it put a little bit more uh queerness in it and folks loved it it took off it went viral on social media we got interviewed by like local newspapers and like the sun times and stuff in chicago uh and it was really just this phenomenon where we said oh people are interested in this kind of grassroots voter to voter educational content um where it's not some politician or some political party or some PAC telling you how to vote. It's somebody, some random person in the community who bothered to sit down and look up all these people running for office because you don't have time to tell you what all, what the deal is with all of them and say, these people suck, pick this one. And this is why. And it's not just a list of names, but it's an explanation about who each of the candidates are, what they stand for, what the main points of their platform is, and a rationale as to why you should choose the person that we selected. And that turned out to be really, really helpful for a lot of people because Chicago and Cook County, over 5.5 million people live in Cook County. And there are a ton of elected positions on every single ballot. People do not vote their entire ballot and they have no idea who most of the people running for office are besides like maybe the statewide people and maybe their congressperson and like every four years who's running for president. Um, but they don't know who their state representative is. They don't know who their county commissioner is. They don't know who's running for judge. You know, they don't know who is running for like ward committee person. All these super, super down ballot races that seem like a bunch of crap and nothing, but actually have massive impacts on people's day-to-day -day lives, much more so than whoever the congressperson is, much more so than whoever the governor is. Who your state representative is really, really matters. Who do you elect to be your, the judge for your sub-circuit really, really matters. And so Girl, I guess, has been and will continue to be this grassroots public education voter guide committed to talking to people like you would talk about politicians on the street. Mm -hmm. And that's the other part of it is so much of political reporting about politicians and so much of the public discourse about elections takes everything super seriously. It's very, very obsessed with its own self-importance. Um, it, it, it really insists upon itself as a legitimate mechanism uh, for engaging in public discourse and engaging in the politics of society. Girl, I guess, doesn't do that. Mm -hmm. We, like, if somebody 
is running for office and they've been in office for 12 years and they've never done anything and they're a smarmy fuck face we're gonna call them a smarmy fuck face <laughs> as like don't vote for this person vote for the other guy instead this guy's a smarmy fuck face and he's done all these things that are awful while he's in office um and it's the same way that you would talk with your friend or your relative about politics and your local elected officials over dinner or over drinks and that's what really makes it relate to people it's informative and it's thorough but it's also irreverent and it's funny people don't want to read some giant tome about like oh yes this is greg q candidate these are his positions on x y and z this is what he's running for (laughs) they want to read like actual people they want to hear something and they want to read something that's like somebody was talking to them on the street and explaining to them who to vote for and that's what girl i guess is it's the written version of that yeah uh, <laughs> so much of the experience of like the average voter you just rattled off feels very much like my experience regardless of where i live right so like right now i would say i live in a smaller municipality in northern minnesota I've lived in a college town. I've lived in major cities, right? And regardless, it's always been the case where as long as I've been of age to vote, right? I'm Googling day of or day before, like what even is on my ballot? Like, I don't even know. What do you mean there's judges? What are these ballot measures? I don't even know, Mm -hmm. right? And then even researching on your own, any information about candidates or these measures, right, is always going to bring you to platform pages that are going to romanticize that particular candidate because that's the point of a candidate's website. So I, I, I very much love this idea of having access to content that's colloquial, it's chill, and it's like community generated, especially for like marginalized people. Um, Cause that's not something I've encountered. And it's really interesting that like, that was something it's interesting and it makes a bunch of sense that that's something that like folks in your ecosystem and then beyond gravitated toward so quickly, especially in a major city like Chicago. Yeah. Well, and it's, and, and even beyond that, you know, it's, it's a fantastic way to educate people mm-hmm. how to vote. It's a great way to talk to your like salty leftist friend who's like, voting doesn't matter. We won't <laughs> vote ourselves to liberation. Like, no, we're not going to vote ourselves to liberation. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't matter who the mayor is. Right. Whether or not you vote, like, because you're a diehard communist and you don't think participating in the capitalist state is an accurate expression of your values. Cool. That's great for you. Mm-hmm. But like, people are still going to vote and elect people who who choose to give more money to cops. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, you're not going to stop that by voting for somebody better. You can maybe slow it down by voting for somebody better. But if you're not participating in elections, especially local elections, you're not doing everything that you can to bring about liberation. Not because voting is the answer and not because elections will free us, but because it's a tool in the toolbox. It is something that we have that gives us access to at least having an individual say in who is in power locally. And like sometimes you can get really, really cool people elected who do really amazing things or who stop bad things from happening. And that only happens when everybody participates, whether or not they believe their vote actually counts, whether or not they believe, you know, it's not decolonial to participate in elections or whatever the latest hot take is that goes around every two or three years. (laughs) Like, sure. Yeah. All of that stuff is true. And all of that stuff is valid. And also... 
it doesn't matter if you don't vote because you're standing in solidarity with indigenous people. That doesn't stop laws and shitty politicians from ruining your life on a day-to-day basis. And like, I'm sure it's a great comfort to people who choose not to vote that they didn't vote because of their own principles. But like when that politician increases funding to the police and somebody down the street from them gets shot, I'm sure they appreciated that that person didn't vote because they felt like it wouldn't be really communist of them. Right. Like, you know, not to say that it's anybody's individual fault that the police shoot people, but if we're trying to bring about revolution and liberation here, it is our duty to use every single tool in the toolbox. Mm-hmm. Hit the voting booth, vote your whole ballot, hit the streets, throw a Molotov cocktail at a cop car. Like you can do both <laughs> do things. All of that, yes. It's, it's not choose one. There's nothing yeah. about voting that precludes you from participating in liberatory politics. Mm-hmm. It's simply an acknowledgement of the fact that even though we are struggling to bring down this system and create a more just world, it doesn't do us any favors to ignore the mechanisms that exist in the society that we live in. It doesn't help. Yeah. You know, it's the, there's, there's no benefit. No, I, yeah, I vibe with that, right? Like I begrudgingly take my ass to the, to the, you know, poll every, every <laughs> opportunity it allows. Right. But I also, right. What you're saying is that it is a tool, unfortunately, yeah. right? Like it's a pretty sizable tool because it's the one that's gotten the most um, investment of many varieties and the most legitimization. And it's one of the longer standing tools. And it's the one that is palatable and allegedly civil, even though it enacts violence through indirect means anyway. Yeah. Um, right. So like thinking about that begrudging feeling, but knowing that like you can't ignore the tool um, yeah. because the tool is going to continue working the way that it works whether or not you participate right yeah. even though it's very slow and direct action was very quick right like you're saying there's this arsenal of tools readily available to us and so why not use them um and i'm reminded of the conversation i had a couple episodes ago with two folks who'd ran for city council positions in their respective municipalities one of them landed their seat one of them did not and the bulk of our conversation was talking about kind of all of these maybe not so obvious obstacles to them as queer folks, as folks of color, as femme folks, as women, um, as folks kind of in predominantly white areas, et cetera, like this huge list of barriers to um, them accessing and being well-received as candidates in their respective areas. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm curious for you, Certainly, I don't envision that the voter guide necessarily pedestalizes or uplifts particular candidates to say, like, this person is fan- like fantastic, etc., because of that kind of, like, edge of this is still electoral politics, this is still stick, this is still a sticky system. But do you feel like there's a way that the your voter guide um, can necessarily help bridge gaps where maybe more progressive leftist liberal and fill in the blank candidates can be seen um in ways i feel like for your average cishet white voter to look at some of Mm -hmm. these folks right to say well i'm not going to vote for you because you're you're a diversity hire etc you're you know you're automatically going to be far more left than i'm ready to commit to or you must be part of some kind of antifa organization whatever (laughs) maybe that's true maybe it's not who knows um do you feel like a voter guide can also serve a purpose to start conversations around how to see past 
perhaps some of the performativity that a more progressive candidate may have to play in order to play the game. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think, you know, it's a both and situation. Like, mm-hmm. There are certainly times in Girl, I guess, where I say this person is awesome. Definitely vote for them. Mm-hmm. They're a badass. They believe a whole bunch of really cool things. You should totally elect them or they're they're really cool mm-hmm. um, because sometimes really cool people run for public office mm-hmm. um, and they deserve support. You know, whether or not they're going to be able to single handedly change the like fetid mechanisms of American local <laughs> government. No, we're not expecting that, but that doesn't also mean that people who deserve our support shouldn't get it. Um, and, you know, a really fantastic example of that is Illinois as a state. You know, we are living in a world where right now the Supreme Court is poised to overturn Roe v. Wade and like yeah. strip reproductive rights from everybody who's capable of getting pregnant. And like, we'll probably reban gay marriage and we'll probably reban gay sex and like whatever other stuff is going is going to happen, mm-hmm. and you know that's that shit's fucking bleak. Um, and also, like I live in Illinois. I live in a state where we have a legislatively protected right for every person who can get pregnant to get an abortion. Mm-hmm. We're going to become a sanctuary state for trans people within the next year or two. We have mandated LGBTQ education in every public school curriculum in the state, and that stuff didn't just happen. By magic that happened because people elected progressive lawmakers who are accountable to their communities and those progressives wrote laws that help people you know they didn't fix all the problems illinois is still a white supremacist settler capitalist state you know we're not some sort of anarchist or socialist utopia um but we're also not the worst place to live in the world and you know i have human rights within the state of illinois when I go and visit my, uh, my long distance partner in Indiana, neither of us have human rights mm-hmm. in the state that she lives in. And it's really great to be able to have human rights in the place where you live. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's really great. And I think that that accountability piece is also the other part, right? Where like electing progressives and electing leftists is not going to change the system on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, There are some people who believe that it will. There's definitely a really big electoralist streak in some communist and socialist movements. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't personally believe that voting alone is the answer. Um, However, the other purpose of the voter guide is to do that public education tool Mm -hmm. and to say, this is what this person believes. It's now aggregated in a spot that's easily, that's easy to locate on the public record so in two years when they're running for re-election again you can go back and look at uh, and look and see if they actually did all the stuff that they said they were going to do um and that's one of the most important parts about public education around voting is so many times politicians act like politicians and they say anything that they think is going to get them elected and they make promises that they have no intention of keeping and they're counting on people not caring or not remembering that they promised to do those things Mm. well in my voter guide i have two standards one i'm not going to say somebody believes something unless i have a way to publicly cite that they said it you know private questionnaires individual conversations you know, face-to-face meetings if I have those with a candidate. I don't care what you tell me to my face. You're going to tell me whatever I want to hear. But I'm unless you say it on your website, unless you said it on your campaign Twitter or Facebook, I'm not going to say that you believe it because you're just telling me that you're going to do it. You have to say it in public so that every single person who voted for you can go back 
And in two years, if you didn't do your job, they can print that tweet out and go to your office and say, what the fuck? You said you were going to do this. Why didn't you do anything about it? And then you have to explain yourself. Uh, and so it's a really fantastic way to make sure that voters not only know who they're voting for, but know what they're voting for in order to hold their elected officials accountable in the next election. Because otherwise you wind up with smarmy fuck faces who do nothing for 12 <laughs> years and keep getting reelected over and over because they can raise a ton of money. And, you know, that doesn't help anybody. Those people just make themselves and all their rich friends richer. Um, and they don't even attempt to solve any of the problems that local governments actually have a lot of ability to solve. Um, and the only way to change that is by holding incumbent elected officials accountable. And if they're not doing what's best for the community, voting in people who will, mm -hmm. and then holding them accountable to make sure they hold up their end of the deal. Mm -hmm. Which I think gets sticky, right? Like I've seen some really rad people anywhere I've lived on any level get voted yeah. in and this system really like you know the air gets thinner the higher up or more invested you get into it and that I what is you know what does that accountability look like when you know that like it's going to be trickier for folks of certain identities um, or folks of certain political orientations to work within this system right to, to hold them accountable when the barriers for them are going to look very different than a career politician who has privileged identities abound and connections and capital and, 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 right? What does that look right. like? Yeah, I think, you know, Chicago is a really fantastic example of that. You know, in 2019, we elected, I think, six or eight um, really progressive leftist people to the city council. Now there's 50 people on city council, plus a, a, we have a strong mayor legislative system a strong executive. So essentially what that means is that legislation is approved by the city council, but really the mayor's in charge. It's not a situation where the city council does whatever it wants and the mayor can't do anything about it. Sometimes that happens when the mayor pisses off the city council enough, which is what's sort of happening in Chicago right now because we have an asshole for a mayor. Um, but generally speaking, historically in Chicago, it's been the mayor who controlled the city council. Um, now we have a bunch of really, really cool people in city council now. They don't make up 26 seats in the city council. They can't pass legislation by themselves. Mm -hmm. But what they can do is they can provide better services for their communities that they represent, especially because aldermen in Chicago have a lot of power locally to dictate what happens in their ward. They can set up mutual aid projects. They can mm -hmm. partner with local organizations uh, to create stuff that actually helps their community. They can mm -hmm. be accessible. They can be responsive. Um, they can be the things that elected officials and local elected officials especially are supposed to be. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, even though people are voting for them because they said that they're going to bring change, folks have to realize individuals can't bring change on their own. That's not the system that we work in. Right. Um, but you can still hold those people accountable based on their voting record. Because if they're elected to something, they still have to vote on legislation. And their votes are a reflection of their values and the values of their community. So if somebody votes for a budget that gives a billion dollars to the police department, you can go to them and say, hey, you're supposed to be a socialist. What the fuck? Why did you vote to give a billion dollars to the police? And they might have had a good reason for voting for that. They might have hated the fact that the money went to the police, but there was something else in the budget that they thought was really important. Sure. Um, but they have to then explain that and be accountable to their to their constituents mm -hmm. who have the ability to hold them accountable because that's what they ran on. 
-hmm. If people stop paying attention, that's how you get machine and corrupt politicians is because they think they can do whatever they want in the background because nobody's going to catch them on it anyway. Right. I think that's really informative. And like, I think it's hard to hold grace sometimes when there's so much corruption and ick that it's just a byproduct of the system. Right. And I think that's, you know, I'd be interested to have a, an additional version of this conversation somewhere along the line that really kind of looks at how you know these municipal politics function in smaller mm-hmm. municipalities right because talking about chicago you know it's a much more sizable municipal arrangement than somewhere like Duluth, minnesota or somewhere even way smaller than an eighty-six thousand, you know populous place um because here that's not the size of things and um when folks get into positions, right, they don't answer those questions. They don't answer the, why does it look like you're betraying your community's interests? Um, There's not often good answers for that because oftentimes um, I feel like I see city councils kind of hold their hands up and say, well, you know, that's a, that's a state government issue. We don't have a hand in that. We can't play to that. And there's kind of this passing of the baton to say, well, someone else's responsibility and then nothing, nothing takes place, nothing happens. So somewhere down the line, I think it'd be interesting to kind of make these comparisons, but. Uh, well, you know, that's actually really interesting mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, when I was living in Champaign, you know, every, mm-hmm. every city every village every something has a legislative body Mm -hmm. they have you know a village president they have a mayor they have trustees they have a city council um they have some some legislative body and some executive body Mm -hmm. and yeah you know if you live in some small rural town or some random suburb of a much larger city you may not have a local government that's willing to make radical policy Mm -hmm. or that's willing to really break from the municipalities that neighbor it but they can Mm -hmm. there's nothing saying that they can't do it and legislators who pass the buck up the next level you know sometimes that's real sometimes they don't have the power to change certain things because they're not allowed to for whatever constitutional reasons sometimes they're just bullshitting because they don't want to do their job and that's also part of the reason for public education tools like this is politicians, especially Democrats, especially people who are like in, I mean, you know, obviously Republicans, that sort of goes without saying, Um, (laughs) like people who are affiliated with capitalist political parties and who are in it as a political career have an incentive to lie to their constituents. If they run on a, on a platform that says they're going to do X, Y, and Z, and they get into office and they maybe try and do half of X and don't get to Y or Z at all. And they say, oh, well, that's actually a state legislator's job. Okay, well, then there's a state legislator that represents this town. There might be two. Get on the phone with them. Yeah, exactly. And tell them to vote for this exactly. shit. Exactly. Because local elected officials and state elected officials are incredibly connected to each other. You know, a lot of the time, state elected officials are rely on their local counterparts mm-hmm. in order to win elections. They need their endorsements. They need their support. They need their cooperation in order to get anything done. And so they have to work together. It's, you know, I, sometimes they don't, but it's extremely unlikely that your local city council person can't call your state senator and ask them to work on a piece of legislation because it would be important to that town. Those people are the state senator's constituents too. So 
if your city councilor says, well, that's not my job mm-hmm. and say, all right, well, then get on the phone with the person whose job it is exactly. and make them do something or else we're going to vote both of you out. And then that's what's always been like the frustrating sticking point, because like there's certain folks who've been around long enough that they kind of they're, they're pretty predictable, regardless whether they vote on something that I agree with or not, some of their responses and their comments are often pretty predictable. And that's sometimes the case, especially when it comes to larger monetary decisions, which again, I understand might have to get passed up to state or that's where final decisions are. When we're talking about this, um, what's the, is it called like the ARPA money, whatever this, the COVID, COVID, you know, relief rescue. COVID relief money. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. The ones that can, you know, the eligibility for municipalities to get bunches of monies, right. You're going to have to go through the federal government, whatever. I get it. Like this is all sticky and it's all connected. But what gets frustrating is when you have this predictable response in the comments from certain city councilors to say, well, that's something that, you know, we can't move on, or that's, you know, based on budget restrictions because of the state, blah, blah, blah. Exactly what you're saying. Cool. If you're telling me that in this, in this council chambers at this moment, moment and it's true I will give good faith that that is true what I'm not interested in is you saying this every time major issues come up that you're thankful for the conversation and you want to continue it outside of these chambers but you don't do it you are in spaces with people on the state level if that's what you're saying that this has to involve folks at the state level to make better moves or to move faster or to move in the way that we're asking you're in rooms with people who have state leverage you're in the rooms yeah. with the people who can call up the people. You have the phone numbers. I do not. I'm coming to you. So you're the one who has to like literally play telephone. Like you're the one that has to transmute this information so that we're not getting pissed at you every single time. And you're just saying, well, that's a great conversation and we'll continue it at a different time. And then you never do. And then you never do. Right. Exactly. And, and folks need to run against those people mm-hmm. and get them the fuck out of office because <laughs> they're not actually interested in doing their job. They're there for the clout. They're there for the money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in those situations, I, I love when people just get super audacious or audacious with the people like, OK, you like you got to talk to the governor about that. I've got a car outside. I drove to this meeting. Let's go. Let's go. Like, <laughs> let's go. We'll be there in the morning. Let's talk to the governor first thing in the morning. You're a city councilor. You're an important person. You can get a meeting with the governor. Mm-hmm. No, you can get a meeting with the state senator that represents this district. You can totally get a meeting with them and they can get a meeting with the governor. Like, let's let's go. Let's fucking go, people. And well, that's, and you know. I think too, like what role can, local, you know, there's a lot to be said, right? Thinking about the conversation I had with the folks who ran for, city council positions a couple episodes ago, one of the things that we talked about, right, is that like, depending on the municipality, folks are not compensated well to be able to fully invest themselves in this work, especially if you hold, you know, marginalized positions. So full grace to that, understood. You're not making bank in the way that like Congress is, understood. And, right, like you took on this position, what level of responsibility then do these folks need to take to do some of the work that essentially you do as just someone with no free time? So I don't know how you're (laughs) doing doing all these other guys, right? You're just, you're just a politically activated person who's making a decision to put out this information because there's an appetite for it. And what ways I know about this stuff and a lot of people don't. Exactly. But like what, you know, what role can a local politician necessarily play that if the reality is that there is barriers or obstacles on a state level, and maybe you're even fighting against that behind the scenes, and we're just not sure, and you're making these responses in council chambers to say, well, that's something that needs to be taken up with the state, or there's XYZ, you know, reasons or barriers on the state level, right? Is there ways that you can engage with your constituency to communicate and educate folks on on the connections that you're trying to make instead of giving us a non-response and 
chambers when we're pissed about something you're about to vote on? Why does this have to be something that we do as community members to necessarily do this education around voting and do this consciousness building around how electoral politics works on a local level? It's frustrating. Yeah, and it is. And I think, you know, that's that's the thing is if you are a local elected official, whether you get paid so much money like city councilors in major cities do or whether it's like a part-time job that pays less than the minimum wage you know it's to me it doesn't really matter like if you aren't paid enough to do politics full-time i understand if you have another job like i'm not expecting you to be accessible 24 7 like i'm necessarily expecting my older person gets paid like a hundred thousand dollars a year to be an older person oh you best like, be answering the phone then <laughs> right like like you yes. better not have another job And and, and it's actually a huge ethics reform point in a lot of major cities where some people do have other jobs while they're in city council. And Mm -hmm. like people consider that a form of corruption or like people Mm -hmm. get asked questions about that. But like, you know, in some random rural town, I'm not expecting, you know, the farmer who ran for village trustee to be available 24 seven to answer my questions. But like you're still a local elected official. You still have a responsibility to do your job, even if it's not a full-time job. I'm gonna get I'm gonna give you grace to like say it might take longer. I'm gonna understand if you can't work on this issue right now, but you better do it mm-hmm. because you still ran for public office mm-hmm. and you have a responsibility to advocate for your constituents. And if you're not gonna do it, then don't run again. Like don't run for re-election if you're not interested in doing the job. You know, people are, especially if you're a, a marginalized person, you're running for a reason. You yeah. know, don't get, don't put all that effort into getting elected to not do the job. Right. Like, you know, it's, should local elected officials get compensated enough to have them be able to work on politics full time? Absolutely. That would, yeah. be, that would make for a better system and for better representation for everybody. Is that going to happen? Probably not. Yeah. But that doesn't excuse people from their responsibilities as an elected official like, even if you have to work two other jobs to pay your rent, you still ran for office and you still got elected. You mm-hmm. still have to do the job you said you were going to do or else don't do it. Like, you can you can resign and somebody else will get appointed if you don't want to do the job. Sure. It's harsh, but I think it's fair because no matter who we are, like, the angle that I take to it is representation is all well and good, <laughs> but representation is also a trap. <laughs> I don't care if you're black queer and trans if you're running for local office or even if you're running for federal office or state office i don't care what your identities are sure if you're like exactly the same politically as somebody else will it maybe influence my vote for you over them if you're mm-hmm. you know a more marginalized person yeah maybe but i don't care if you are the most oppressed person in the world if you're you have a job to do if you get elected for local office identity politics are not an excuse to not do your job and we see this all the time sometimes incredibly diverse and incredibly marginalized people suck ass when they get elected you know terrible terrible people happen to come from marginalized communities all the time and i think it's a pitfall that especially leftists fall into really constantly is we're afraid to criticize marginalized people and multiply marginalized people Mm. who are in public office because they are marginalized people Mm -hmm. and my response to that is like look 
yes, does this person experience racism and homophobia and sexism? Yeah, they sure do. They're still the mayor of the city of Chicago and they're still (laughs) responsible for all the bullshit that's going on that they're allowing to happen. They don't have to let this happen. They don't have to be a terrible person. They could say, I want to take money away from the police department. And they know that that would save lives. But if they don't choose to, I'm not going to be extra respectful of them because they're a black lesbian. Sure. I'm going to say, what the fuck? You have, an e- you have even more of a responsibility mm-hmm. because it's people who look like you who are getting impacted more by these violent policies. And that's, that's one of the things that I think we have to pay really careful attention to mm-hmm. as leftists, as progressives, as people who are committed to, to liberation and to revolution is... You know, like Dean Spade says, representation is a trap. Representation is a trap, and it is a trap that will get you every time if you are not careful. You know, it's somebody is not on your side just because they share your identity. You have to make sure that they have firm values-based ideological commitments to the same things that you believe in. Otherwise, it doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter how they identify. If they're still doing the work of white supremacy and capitalism, they may as well be a white dude. Mm-hmm. And it's a huge, it's a huge letdown, right? I see that. I mean, we currently see that at the federal level. <laughs> yeah. Right. Big time. Um, and I see that play out state and local level. And it's really frustrating because it's like, we were all rooting for you. We want to root for you. And in this moment, like we cannot because you're enacting immense amounts of violence against literally your own communities. Communities is a nebulous term at this point anyway <laughs> I was I I'd had this question pop up a couple of thoughts back but just like I love venting about just the hellfire that is all of these structures um, and let that right out so to boomerang it back just a little bit you had said um, you had the example of a politician actually plot twisting and turning out to be way more progressive than intended in the origins of the girl I guess voter guide has there mm-hmm. ever been an instance where someone you like lauded, right? Was like, this person's A plus, this person's, you know, good deal. And the reverse happened. They turned out to be like, not so great, made some like poor choices. I imagine the answer is yes. And you don't have to talk about anyone in particular, but like, what, like, has that happened? What did that feel like? What did the like aftermath of that look like? What did communicating about any letdowns look like if that happened? Well, it hasn't happened yet. And I'm crossing my fingers that it won't happen yet anytime soon. (laughs) Part of that is because I'm endorsing often like the most progressive person in the race. And sometimes they don't win. Um, oh no. And, so, yeah. and, <laughs> and you know, fair. that's, that's sort of, that's sort yeah. of the name of the game, yeah. but like the people that I have endorsed that have won, there's a lot of different levels of endorsement and girl, I guess. And mm-hmm. a lot of what I do in my work in writing the guide is differentiating who is some asshole who's just better than the person who's running against them. And you may as well vote for them, even though they're basically the same, because this guy sucks a little bit less. Mm. And like, who's a total badass who's going to do amazing things for their community? Um, Usually the total badasses are accountable to a whole bunch of different people who will tell them, hey, what the fuck? When, you know, if if they turn around and end up being terrible. Um, And also... You know, not to toot my own horn, but I've been following elections and politics for a really, really, really long time. Mm. It's easy to spot the grifters if you know how to look at them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Generally speaking, the people who 
run on progressive platforms and run on leftist leftist platforms and get elected if they're actually accountable to the communities they're trying to represent that's going to show through in their campaign that's going to show through in their endorsements that's going to show through in their platform and generally speaking those people do a pretty good job now i won't say anything for members of congress because that's basically just a useless legislative body anyway um uh-huh. you know if if you're a congressperson congratulations you tricked people into paying you a lot of money to represent them and do nothing um (laughs) like there's some like don't get me wrong there's some really cool people in congress and like i'm endorsing a bunch of really cool people who are running for congress and i also have zero expectation of them being able to get anything done whatsoever because they're running for congress like i'm endorsing them because they're cool people and because you know i think that they're genuinely good individuals and are better than the person that they're running against Mm -hmm. And also they're running for Congress. Like <laughs> how much are they actually <laughs> going to be able to get done? Um, and, you know, and, and I think that's part of the expectation setting um, that I do in the guide is if somebody is really fantastic, I'm going to say that they're really fantastic. If somebody is okay, I'm going to say that they're just okay. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to present every candidate as an equal. Um, and that's something that I've worked really hard in, in more recent editions to differentiate Um, in municipal elections in the last municipal election when Ellen and I were still writing the guide together we had like a red light yellow light green light system Mm -hmm. for endorsements of candidates because sometimes there's somebody who's just okay and they're running against an incumbent who you should not vote for for any reason and we wanted to differentiate the people who are just better than the other guy from the people who are like you know, a good black lesbian progressive who's <laughs> actually like into the shit that they say that they're running on <laughs> and like is running against an awful person and then got elected. And that's going to be, I'm, I'm moving now to a new neighborhood uh, in next month. And oh. that person's going to be my new alder person. And I'm super Ooh. stoked about it because she's a great person, but you know, there's, so I, I differentiate and I do a lot of work to differentiate. Uh, I incorporated this thing called the golden shrug uh, in primary and general elections because in the Chicago municipal elections we have essentially two rounds if you get more than 50 percent in the first round of the election you just win but if nobody gets more than 50 percent there's runoffs and so you have a second chance to vote for somebody um, or you might have to vote for somebody else who you didn't like very much Um, and so there's different levels of endorsement in the in the initial municipal guide to show this is somebody who you should vote for. This is somebody who you should maybe look at in case there's a runoff. But in, in first past the post primary elections, whoever gets the most votes wins. If somebody, if there's 12 people running and somebody gets 25% of the vote and that's the most votes, that person wins. Doesn't matter if they got 25% of the vote. So I introduced the golden shrug as a way of saying this person is actually really cool versus or like this person is way better than the person that they're running against versus they're better than the other guy all all endorsements are shrugs but (laughs) some shrugs are golden (laughs) i love that and like that sounds like you know you've been like you said you've been doing iterations of the voter guide either in partnership or now solo for several years now since 2018 and it sounds like that's kind of one of the learning aha moments and shifts that you've made and being able to communicate effectively to folks who are consuming the guide. What have been 
because I think you talked about this before we hit record, right? What have been maybe some other like learning moments or things that you're discovering about this electoral politics process that even as someone who's been tracking politics, paying attention to political movements for a long time, were not you were not aware of before like getting deep into this voter guide project. Oh, this shit's a bigger mess than everybody thinks. And again, I'll use my situation as an example. Um, the state of Illinois put, usually has primary elections, whether it's for the presidential election or the midterm general election. Uh, we have our primaries in March. This year, because of something called redistricting, which is what every state and you know local municipality does after the decennial census, they pass new congressional maps and new state legislative maps and new city council maps, um, whatever. They change the districts around to represent the new population after the census. Well, because of COVID and because of Trump fucking up the census by being a fascist asshole, the, the census data was late in getting to the states. And it wasn't 100% accurate. So a lot of states, including Illinois, delayed their primary elections to give their state legislatures more time to draw new district maps. Uh, and so instead of having our primary in March, when it's supposed to be, it's June 28th now is when our election is. That's two days after Chicago Pride, first of all, which I'm not <laughs> happy about. Homophobic. Um, homophobic. And like, second of all, we have primary has always been in March in, in Illinois, like for decades, it's been in March. So there's an entire infrastructure, an electoral and a political infrastructure built around the March primary timeline. Mm. And it, you know, it informs when people canvass to get on the ballot. It informs when people door knock after they're running. It informs when the filing deadlines are. It informs when the boards of elections certify their sample ballots everything from day one on down to election day is dictated by this cycle and moving it back three and a half months through everything into complete chaos. Sure. Um, the All three levels of boards of election, the state board of election, the Cook County board of election and the Chicago board of elections missed their ballot certification deadline by three weeks. They were supposed to certify on April 21st. I just got the final candidate list from the Chicago board of elections yesterday mm. and it's, May 13th, when we're, when we're recording this. Mm -hmm. So it, things are in complete chaos. Candidates haven't released their full platforms yet. People are still suing to determine whether or not they're on the ballot. And voting starts in Illinois next Thursday. Mm -hmm. So this change, I mean, I'm sure they're going to put the primary right back in March because it's in everybody's best interest to do that for the next time. Sure. But this has thrown everything into complete chaos. And it's really detrimental for voters because, you know, people, uh, the casual voter may not necessarily care whether the election is in March or June. They're just going to show up, check a few boxes and leave anyway. But it's incredibly detrimental for voter education and public education efforts around candidates and elections because the information is not available all at the same time mm. and with as much time in advance as everybody needs in order to research candidates. The first day of early voting is next Thursday. Like I said, if you're somebody in the state of Illinois who's going to vote on April, on, on May 19th, because you can't, like you want to go to the board of elections super site in the loop in Chicago, and you want to vote your ballot 
and you want to just be done with it, you may not know what you're voting for because the candidates that are on your ballot may not have released a full platform or may not have kicked their campaign into high gear yet. And that's really awful. And in some cases it can be dangerous because you may not have the ability to make an informed choice as a voter on who you're selecting to be your next elected official. And, you know, do people have a week to get their shit together? Yeah, they do. But for people who are going to vote early, generally those are informed voters. They have a lot of time and they know when early voting starts. Mm -hmm. So these are people who are used to being able to make an informed choice about their, uh, about their ballot. And they're being robbed of that ability because Mm -hmm. of this change. And so it's going to be really interesting to see what turnout looks like. It's going to be really interesting to see what the the election results look like. It's going to be really interesting to see what voter education looks like in this June primary versus in November when we go and vote in November like we always do. Mm, Wow. Yeah, as someone who like, I know when early voting is, but I didn't until it became a, you know, more easily accessible option per COVID, right? right? And like I said, I'm someone who Googles the morning of, like, what is even on my ballot today, right? Like, that would put me in kind of a predicament if that information is kind of getting, you know, paper mache together within the week that I'm planning to go do that. And I guess I'm curious, do you anticipate, like, folks pushing back on the legitimacy of voting results based on some of this coming together? Would that not affect results too much? It's really hard to tell. I don't think we're going to have a situation in Chicago where there's like a big lie type phenomenon where people are going to say like the folks who won the election didn't actually win the election because the percentage of people who vote early enough to have this impact them is not, I mean, those votes matter but it's not necessarily a huge percentage of the vote. It's maybe 1% of voters. Now that 1% of voters could decide the election. A lot of elections are decided by mm-hmm. 1% or fewer or, or less of the vote. Um, so 1% of the vote matters a lot. Now, we don't actually know what the timeline is going to look like. But for example, the candidate list that I received from the Chicago Board of Elections, there are people listed on it who might not be on the ballot. And so they're including <laughs> disclaimers with the early voting ballots, they're including disclaimers with the mail-in voting ballots they're going to start mailing out next week that say votes for these candidates may or may not count depending on the outcome of let, uh, of, of uh, litigation around their candidacy. So there are people wow. who may be voting for somebody and their votes end up not counting because this process was so delayed. And that person wound up on the ballot anyway because... You know, even though there's an asterisk next to their name, essentially, people can still vote for them. And those votes may end up being truly a wasted vote because that person may get removed from the ballot. And that's fucked up. That should never that never should have happened. Um, And it happened for a lot of reasons. But that is something that could potentially impact the outcome of an election, you know, especially in places like Chicago. We saw in 2019 in the municipal election several incredibly close races. There was an alder person who was elected by 19 votes. There was another alder person who won re-election, an incredibly unpopular incumbent, won re-election by the skin of his teeth, 25 votes in a runoff. So, you know, the 25 people who vote early on May 19th, on May 19th, their votes could end up deciding some of these elections. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those it truly in a local election, every single vote counts. 
it may not feel like it in federal elections and in congressional elections when yeah. the way that we count votes are different and not necessarily fair. <laughs> yeah. But the, f- the further down you get on the ballot, the more local those races become, the fewer and fewer people are voting, not just because the districts get smaller, but because people don't vote their entire ballot. So if you're voting for your county board representative, there's gonna be a lot fewer people voting for that than voted for the Congress person. And that election might get decided by mm-hmm. 50 votes. Yeah, wow. Well, I don't um, obviously live in Chicago, so my stake is different than yours, but I do think that there's some really interesting implications about just like ethics <laughs> and <laughs> like structure and power and process that I think, you know, in these major cities can have bearings or weight on how things get ran in smaller municipalities. And so I guess, you know, to figure out how to funnel us towards some some version of a conclusion, because we could talk forever because we do it all the time. So in places that don't have a Stephanie Scora um, (laughs) to like do all of this labor to kind of put together these these considerations and these golden shrugs and to kind of literally guide voters to have, you know, some semblance of helpful information to approach voting. Like, what are some other tools and tactics that you think are helpful for folks um, when thinking about voter education, when thinking about being informed about your municipal and local politic processes and how to like not, you know, get continually screwed over without realizing we're getting screwed over <laughs> by yeah. these processes. You know, I think really the most important thing is for an individual or a group of individuals to commit to paying attention. You know, the there's a lot of stakes and there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes in major cities like Chicago. There's also a lot more people living here. So odds are there's somebody who's going to pay attention some of the time Mm -hmm. in smaller municipalities that's actually where more corruption happens a lot Mm -hmm. more behind the scenes skullduggery happens in tiny towns with 500 people in them because yeah sure everybody might know the mayor but nobody really pays attention to what the mayor is doing um and you know and especially in extremely rural areas that may not even have city by city representation they just have a county board um it's incredibly hard for people to pay attention to and keep track of what their county level elected officials are doing and that might be the only legislative body that they have access Mm -hmm. to so people's best option is to find someone or form a group or do it yourself and pay attention figure out what's going on behind the scenes in front of the camera all over the place because the more you know, the, the best disinfectant, especially in politics, is sunlight. Um, and the more you know about what's happening, the better you're able to affect the process and the more you're able to hold your local elected officials accountable. Corrupt politicians happen because they think they can get away with it because people aren't paying attention. Mm-hmm. Um, or they don't think that the people who are paying attention are empowered to do anything about it. Folks in small towns have more ability to get shit done because fewer people need to come together to really put a scare into that elected official. If you live in a tiny, tiny town, or if you go to a really small college in the middle of nowhere, or you know, maybe you go to a really big college in the middle of nowhere, um, you have a lot more power 
as an individual over your local elected uh, officials and your local electoral processes than I do as one person out of 2.7 million in the city of Chicago. Sure. So mm. get involved, pay attention, find out what's going on and hold folks accountable. And if you aren't interested in doing that, there's definitely somebody around you who, who shares your values, who is support that person, give them what they need and let them know that when they find something out, people will pay attention and care about what they say. Well, this has been fun. Fun? Yes. It's been fun, but it's also been really just nourishing. I feel like I'm not surrounded by enough anarchists in my immediate ecosystem. So it's always really fun to talk to you about politics because as noted. We need more of us. Yeah. Limited faith, but also a full understanding that it is the, you know, highest ranking tool that everybody participates in. Yeah. Um, is there any final thoughts you have? No, you know, I think <laughs> the the real message is, no, we're not going to vote our way to liberation, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't vote. You know, I understand if people don't want to vote for Senate, if people don't want to vote for president, if people don't want to vote for Congress, I get it. The federal government sucks and it doesn't do anything. All it does is lie and approve money for war and refuse to do anything about the people that are suffering. I get that. If you don't want to vote for federal government for any of those really, really valid reasons, vote for your state government, vote for your county government, vote for your local government. Those offices have much more of an impact on your day-to-day life Mm -hmm. and on your lived reality than who who the president is or who your congressperson is or even who your governor is. Your local elected officials make the laws that govern every aspect of your day-to-day life. Whether you can smoke weed in public, whether or not you can use the bathroom as a trans person, Mm -hmm. whether or not you have access to safe and accessible reproductive health care. Your vote really, really, really does matter in local and state level politics. And your vote isn't the only tool you have access to. If all you do is vote, you're not doing enough. But if you're doing everything besides voting, you're not using all the options available to you. And I would encourage you as one revolutionary to another, I understand your hesitance. Take five minutes and do it anyway. It might not make all the difference. It might not bring down the fall of capitalism or bring about the fall of capitalism like you want it to, but it sure doesn't hurt to give it, an, to give it the old college try. <laughs> yes, yes. All right, all right friend. <laughs> Very Midwestern. <laughs> Take the Last Bite is made possible by the volunteer labor of the Midwest Institute for Sexuality and Gender Diversity staff. Our larger work is sustained by the contributions of grassroots donors. If you would like to support the life-saving work of empowering, connecting, and educating Midwest queer and trans communities, please consider setting up a monthly or one-time donation at sgbinstitute.org backslash giving or hitting that green donate button on our website's homepage. Our inbox is open for all of your insight, feedback, questions, boycotts, memes, and other forms of written correspondence. You can contact us at lastbite at sgdinstitute.org. Particular shout out to Justin, Andy, Nick, Danielle, and Michelle for all of your support with editing, promotion, transcripts, and production. Our amazing and queer as fuck cover art was designed by Adrian McCormick.